I'm about to name some people who help me keep this podcast going. They are the wonderful members of my Patreon group. I appreciate each of them. You can learn how to be a patron by going to patreon.com, look for Set Lusting Bruce, and for as little as $5 a month, you can support the podcast and get access to unedited episodes. And as little a dollar a month, you get a handwritten thank you note from me and a shout out at least once a month thanking you in an episode. So, Sean, David and Jennifer, Jeff, Sylvan, Liz, Yetta, Steve, Coach Randy, Rob, Bella, John, Betsy, Levi, Liz, Stephen and Steve, Dale, Terry, Chris, and Mary. All of you are amazing, and thank you for being part of this wonderful group. You know I love you. We drove down to Houston, and I turned the corner from the first room into the second room and I saw a painting by Pablo Picasso's called Girl Before Mirror and I it was like I was punched in the stomach I was like I I like the wind got knocked out of me I was I started to cry I was I, and I couldn't leave that painting I stood there I don't I didn't time it but it was a very long time because my husband did the entire rest of the exhibit and then came back around and then I'm, I'm still sitting there and standing there in front of this painting and at the time I had been applying to get my PhD in art history and I had done the GREs, I had submitted some of the applications and I was still, I was in that process. And then what I realized there standing in front of that painting was that I got really worried. I was like, what if I learn too much and then I lose the magic of the art? What if I studied Picasso's life? And then, you know, of course, if you study Picasso's life, you're going to find a bunch of problematic things. And I was like, what if I do that? And then I lose the magic of that emotion, that first reaction, emotional experience. And so I got, I, I was like, no, this is not what I need to do. I was like, I need to study art education so that I can help other people discover how powerful this is. And so it was like that moment in front of that painting. That's when I decided to do art education. everyone and welcome to a brand new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce Springsteen train today, though I'm sure he will come up as he often does. We are going to talk about the magic of self-discovery, community, and a connection to art. I am so looking forward to having a discussion with my guest, Cindy. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Super excited to be here. Yeah. Tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Yeah. I am a former art teacher and former museum educator. And um, about 10 years ago, I started a business that helps art teachers connect with works of art, like looking at works of art instead of the making, it's the exploring art that other people have made. And then just in the last few years, I realized that it, it really is more to me about the personal connection to art and what you get from it rather than the teaching about the art history or the like the line and the color and the all the information about the artist's life it's really more about your personal experience and so I've been exploring what that looks like because throughout my whole life I've been very emotionally connected to art and I've had these big powerful moments with artworks and I want other people to have them too it's probably like you you're like oh I love Springsteen. I want everyone to, <laughs> to feel the magic yeah. I feel. That's what I feel with art. And so I started to write a book to explore this. It ended up being a memoir. It's called Art is About Being Whole. And it's really about my connection to art. And then I also have, have branched off in my business outside of working with just teachers and do circles of pe people where we get around and 
we put an artwork up and we talk about it and through the lens of what we're learning about ourselves. Uh, it's called Art so, Connection Circle. So did you happen to watch Little Steven on 60 Minutes a few weeks ago? No. And I know that's random. So <laughs> it is. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> yeah. Little Steven is the, is Bruce Springsteen's longtime friend. He's the band director of the E Street Band. He also played Silvio on The Sopranos. So that's who oh, he is. Okay. And he has a foundation about putting art back in schools. And he talks about in the interview, and I will not do it justice, so yes, go find it on YouTube. But he said, all right, you go to your students. Who do you like? Beyonce. Oh, really? Well, have you heard of Aretha Franklin? Mm -hmm. And do you know that where that came from? And do you know that she started in the church? That's from Detroit. And then we're talking civil rights. And they're yeah. engaged because you're talking about what they love. Yeah. And he says the United States is the only country in the world that thinks art is a luxury. And I yeah. just said, preach it, little Steven. <laughs> yeah, that gave me chills a little bit. That, yeah, it's so true. And I found that as a teacher and helping teachers that kids will be excited about talking about anything, any work of art that we'll talk about and they'll have lots of ideas. But when you bring in stuff that like they're connected to that relates to their lives like the power of that is is so much deeper and so there's so much more to be had they feel seen and heard they feel understood they feel more connected to you as a teacher like it is there's so many benefits but yeah. a lot of people really stick to the old masters and all of that yeah and um yeah because let's you could talk about the dynamics of comic book art Mm -hmm. uh, street art, just yeah. so much. And then his point was you can lead them back to be teaching history and yeah. politics and government and all this stuff through what they're enjoying and they can see how it connects. So yeah, please check yeah. that interview out. I but I just thought that statement was so great that we do. And I'm in Texas. I, I'm a very very lonely blueberry and a very big strawberry state. Me too. I'm a, I'm a blue Texan too. Okay. <laughs> and, and I'm not talking bad about Friday night lights and football. I'm great, but <laughs> seems like we could have a little bit of money for the band is more than just somebody that plays at halftime, right? I mean, Art yeah. is more than just signs on the wall for pet rallies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Cindy, I always like to start at the beginning. Talk to me a little bit. Where did you grow up and what kind of music were your family listening to? And because you're an artist, was there a lot of art growing up in your house? Two point yeah. question. Okay. So I grew up in Amarillo, Texas in the Panhandle. I live outside of Dallas now. And I, it's funny, like when I think about what my parents listen to, I don't have a lot of memories of them listening to music. The only, the only few memories I have, my biological dad, I remember he would listen to like old country. It was like, there's a tear in my beer. Like I remember that song specifically. And then my mom listened to, I remember she listened to Johnny Mathis and my dad. So I have biological dad and dad, this the one that was really the dad <laughs> he listened to Billy Joel I remember the Beach Boys being played pretty frequently but mainly I, the most music I remember is the music in church too and also Christmas music yeah Christmas time there's lots of music being played but the rest of the time I what don't church really did remember. you go to as a youngster uh it was a Catholic church in Amarillo St. Thomas and I I really I have not stayed religious and but I remember the music was where I felt the most power and the, where I felt like the most connected and where I felt the most like, and it really moved me to everybody singing at the same time. And it was Catholic church. So it was very traditional music, but like I sang in the, the, the youth choir and I always felt a really deep connection to the music during church. Yeah, I was raised in a Southern Baptist home, so grew up playing, singing all these hymns, 
when I started dating my wife, she was raised Catholic and she was, if we're going to date, you got to go to church. I don't care if you go to your <laughs> church. I don't care if you go to my church. So I started going to her church and I converted. I'm on a, I have an interesting relationship currently with religion and God. We, Linda has refound her faith as she's gotten older and I applaud her. I'm happy for her. I'm thrilled, but not so much for me. But yeah. the reason I'm telling this story is that I loved, I, even though I was Catholic all those years, I did not learn as many songs in the Catholic hymn book on angels wings and a few others but i swear i know every protestant just because i was a kid going over it i just hearing that alan jackson did a couple of albums of where he did religious songs that just with a piano and a guitar and every one of them i just it it brought me back to my childhood yeah so, all right. So, Cindy, though, was it, were you an artsy kid? Were, did you have oh, your Play-Doh? Yeah. Did you have your finger paints? Talk to me about that. I've been obsessed with art my entire life. I I don't remember ever a time, and I never have stopped. <laughs> I'm 42 years old. I'm like, I'm still obsessed with art, and it's still all I talk about. Yeah, I was constantly drawing and crafting, and I would make the joke of the family is the, I would make these ghosts at Halloween out of tissues and I would hang them from my ceiling fan and they would fly around my room. And it, but it was just, I, I was a constant drawing. My mom is a way better drawer than I am. And so I always really enjoyed watching her draw. And yeah, I just, but I grew up in a, it's a town, it's, or it's a city, but it's a small city. And there's, there wasn't a museum that I knew about. I learned after I left that there actually was an art museum there. I just didn't know it existed. So I didn't have really, I didn't really explore looking at art until I was like late in high school. And when I, that, when I discovered this, when things changed, but I really wanted to be a Disney animator because that's where I got to experience art in person. You go to theater and just like the art and the emotion mixed with the music and the acting. And that was just the best for me. I really wanted, I also wanted to, I played piano too. So I also wanted to compose the music. I was very ambitious <laughs> until I realized what Disney animation actually is. And it was just drawing the same thing over and over again. Then it became computer animation later, but that hadn't been invented at the time. Yeah. So that's what I really wanted to do. Give me context. What's the first Disney film you can remember seeing in the theater? Probably would be Little Mermaid. No, it's not because my sister gave me a book of Bambi. I think it was Bambi. But that but I was my childhood, like elementary was the Little Mermaid, Aladdin years, and Lion King was my favorite when it came out when I was in eighth grade. And I saw it 12 times at the theater and I cried every single time. <laughs> that was my first real art experience I that I remember. Because I lived around the corner from a dollar movie and mm-hmm. I would just go and all I needed was a dollar and I would go get see Lion King over and over again. Um, my son it. was born in 89. Beauty Beast, because he would be young. Yeah, he couldn't say he was so young. He would leave out the and Beauty Beast, and just would rewatch it on VHS tape over and over again. Yeah, Uh, I didn't mention that one yet. That was the one I I was like, I said those three, and I was like, there's one I missed. Yeah, and the Beast was the other one. Yeah, Yeah, and they are just amazing. The animation, the the soundtrack is just beautiful. Yeah. So yeah, did you? So I have a really good friend named Tom who is an artist and he, when I talk to him, he's, that's all he's ever wanted to do. From Mm -hmm. the moment he picked up a crayon, he knew that he wanted to draw and make art for a living. Did you have that desire or did you want to teach? Talk to me about young Cindy and what, besides wanting to work on Disney movies. It really was, I think it was a mix of both. I think that teaching probably was the thing that really was the most prevalent in terms of my career. And I just, I think I just always knew I was a teacher. I don't know how I knew this. (laughs) I just knew it. And I remember one time I wanted to be like, I wanted to work at SeaWorld. Every preteen girl has a period where she's obsessed with whales and (laughs) dolphins. And I was like, oh, I can work at SeaWorld. But I was like, but I'll want to be in the education department in SeaWorld. So it was like, it was always like an education related thing. And I think that I've always felt this 
pull to share the things that I'm passionate about with other people. And teaching is a way I can do that because it was only recently have I really made art for me. It's always been like, how can I help other people understand the power of art and teaching was the way that, that I could do that. Yeah. It's just one of those things I always knew. My mom ran a home daycare and I would play school with them. I would also, I would teach them things and and that would make them be my students. And I was always playing teacher. Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. So where'd you go to school? I went to UT Austin for undergrad and got my degree in art history. And then I have a master's in art education from UNT, University of North Texas. Ah, very nice. Once you, let's talk about, you said you were teaching. So let's talk a little bit of that. And then let's talk about how your life changed from there. Okay. Yeah. So I started out as a museum educator. That's what I really wanted to do because I went on a Europe trip my junior year of high school, the summer between junior and senior year. And the junior English teacher would take kids every year and it was like 28 days or something. And it was, I forgot how many countries, but we went pretty much all of Europe. We did Germany, Austria, Switzerland, France, England, Italy. Like we did all the things and went to all the museums and we actually got like college humanities credit for it. So we studied the art and we even studied it up and leading up to the trip. And when I was there, I was like, people work here. <laughs> it was like that one, I'm seeing art for the first time outside of like art class or whatever. And also people get to be here every day. And so that was when I was totally hooked on the idea of working in museums just to be around the art every day. And so that's, I got my degree in art history so that I could do that. And then um, I learned pretty quickly that it's a really hard field (laughs) to get into. And you have to have a master's degree. They don't pay you very much. There's a lot of competition for each job, but I tried anyway. I was really passionate about it. And it was, I was actually between between my undergraduate and graduate degree, I was working 
I was working at a art museum and I went on the weekend or on New Year's day, I drove down to Houston from Dallas about a four hour drive because the museum of modern art in New York city was closed for renovation. And so they sent all of the best art from their collection to Houston. And it, the MoMA has like the starry night. It has Dolly's melting clocks. It has, it's like, it has the water Monet's water lilies, like all these like big famous works of art. And so I was like, I was too poor to travel. So I wasn't going to make it to New York anytime soon. And so I, we, we drove down to Houston and I turned the corner from the first room into the second room. And I saw a painting by Pablo Picasso it's called girl before a mirror. And I, it was like, I was punched in the stomach. It was like, I, I like the wind got knocked out of me. I was starting to cry. I was, I, and I couldn't leave that painting. I stood there. I don't, I didn't time it, but it was a very long time because my husband did the entire rest of the exhibit and then came back around. And then I'm, I'm still sitting there standing there in front of this painting. And at the time I had been applying to get my PhD in art history and I had done the GREs, I had submitted some of the applications and I was still, I was in that process. And then what I realized there standing in front of that painting was that I got really worried. I was like, what if I learn too much and then I lose the magic of the art? What if I studied Picasso's life? And then, you know, of course, if you study Picasso's life, you're going to find a bunch of problematic things. And I was like, what if I do that? And then I lose the magic of that emotion, that first reaction, emotional experience. And so I got, I, I was like, no, this is not what I need to do. I was like, I need to study art education so that I can help other people discover how powerful this is. And so it was like that moment in front of that painting, that's when I decided to do art education. Still wanted to work in museums, but eventually I had gotten laid off. I worked in a couple places. I got laid off at one place because of finance. You know, they laid off like over half the staff in one day. And so I had to get a job and teaching was the easiest thing for me to do at that point. So I I didn't think I would like being an art teacher because I didn't think I would like the classroom management and I wouldn't like... I loved museums because that you could just talk to the kids and then they could, they would leave. You know? And like, you didn't have to worry about disciplining them or whatever. But what I learned in the art classroom as an art teacher was that like that, the relationships with the students was really exciting. And I got to see how they're like, how, what you taught them in one month, eight months later, you can see like how it impacted them. And then there was so much um, delight in that, that experience, but it was I had this way of teaching that was with art and it was a lot of co connection and conversation and a different way of teaching. And I couldn't find resources like that online. And so that's why I started my business because I was like, if I want to teach that this way, then there are other people who also want this. And I, of course I, like I said, I want to share everything I'm excited about with everyone else. So I started my business so that I could share these lessons that I had developed in my classroom. And then eventually was able to leave the classroom and just do the business full time. So when I have someone on the podcast who is a fan of a musician, whether it's Bruce or name any other artist, I will say, can you remember when you first heard blank and can mm -hmm. you articulate what about their music spoke to you? So thank you for answering that question, uh, because that is as a good an answer as I've ever heard. Thanks. It is a road to Damascus moment, isn't it? Yeah, it was. I I wrote a four page essay after it, like for no reason. I just I just needed I needed to write it down because it was so shocking. And I've cried in front of art before. I've had powerful moments in front of art before, but it was this one was so dramatic it was and, and it was it was the it was the career change that happened after I made that decision in the car on the way home like we drove there and drove back we didn't have money for hotels so we just we did yeah. that eight hour drive in one day and but I also at the same time was going through and this is a, the story my book tells but it's I was in a lot of anxiety shame. I had really severe, like social anxiety, really severe. Like you wouldn't, you couldn't necessarily be able to tell from the outside, but it was like, I was a mess on the inside. And what that painting is a girl looking in a mirror and, and it's in like 
If you were to think of like Picasso's style, he painted in a lot of styles, but like the one you probably think of first is the one that that was in. It's like his iconic style of the fractured shapes and the bold lines and colors. And it's really big, but there's the girl on the left is the girl looking in the mirror. She's got, looks like she has makeup on. She's got blonde hair. She just looks a little bit more put together, but the reflection of herself in the mirror is purples and like blues and teals and she's more broken up and there's like there's this big like teal thing like right over her forehead like you can't even really see her eyes and I saw this and so I'm, I'm having this powerful moment of and, and meta-analyzing my experience with the art while at the same time seeing my internal external experience reflected in the art so I'm not only like it was like all the things and I'm seeing like, oh, this is me trying to hold it together. But when I look at, when I really look inside, like it's really painful in there. And so it was like that moment too, where I was just starting to realize like everything that I had been going through, but this was 2004 when I saw this exhibit and this was, the internet was still like super young. I don't even think like Facebook, Facebook didn't exist yet there weren't people online talking about their struggles and their mental, they weren't listening to podcasts of people talking about their anxiety. And, what and so I didn't know what anxiety was. And I, so I was just figuring it out. And so this was a big moment of self-discovery for me too. Of Oh, wow. Like I see myself in this painting um, at the same time. Did, do you, have you, you've kind of obviously thought a lot about this and shared that this is it, is it the image of what you were struggling with that you didn't even know you were struggling with? Because mm. sometimes you'll hear a song that go, how could they have written that? Because it's so personal. It, yeah. it is, it's like they went in my head and heard me and they've articulated what's, what is going on. Yeah. That it, I think I, I, I did know at the time but it was, yeah, it was one of those moments of this is me reflected. And I think it just music art, it does that same thing. Like in this program that I run, I did a free, like a free session for, of it the other day. And we were looking at an artwork by an artist named Dan Daniel Popper. And it's this big giant sculpture. It's like a gateway of this woman being split in half. And it has these like tubes connecting pipes connecting the two halves of her. And then there's all this graffiti and like spray paint art, like all the way up to her chin. It's like from from the bottom of her chin all the way down. And there was a woman in the program who said, like the whole time we, we talked about the artwork in the program for like an hour and a half or two hours. It was two hour long. And she was like, this whole time I'm getting more and more anxious. She's I'm looking at this. And I'm, and the whole thing I was leading them through is a way to see what this painting's message is for you. But she was like, I got to this point. She was like, I feel so anxious and so overwhelmed. And she was like, this is my life. Like, this is, this is how I feel every day. She works full time. She teaches community college at night. She has a, a new diagnosis of an autoimmune disease. And she's just, this is how I feel. And then the, the face was like dissociated and she, like, it looks really like keep her head above water and just like power through her life and art. I've seen so many moments in my programs and in my own life where I look at an artwork or someone else looks at an artwork and they're like, it just hits them like over the head. They're like, that is exactly how I feel. But that's what art is. It's a human expression of your own humanity. And whether you tell it in music or theater or dance or art, like the more, there's some quote that's like the, what is it? The most specific is the most universal. I don't know the exact quote, but like when you get, when you tell your own personal story, someone else is going to relate to it. And if you talk in generics, it's, it's not as powerful as those specific. Yeah. Things. Jason Isbell in an interview talked about that, that he says when he, most of his best songs are when mm -hmm. he really gets down to his personal thoughts and yeah. And the more, I think you're right, the more specific you are, it becomes more universal. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I will probably cut this out, Cindy, okay. just because I don't want to bore my audience, but I wanted to share it with you. I don't know. You mentioned you've heard a couple of episodes. I don't know if you listened to the Sarah Gregory episode. Nope. Okay. 
she, I, we were connected and I will not, I will give the highlights, but I would recommend listening to the episode because it is a similar story, yours, yet very different. Her grandmother was killed when she was very young mm. by a friend of the family. And it went through, she went through a 10 years of, of substance abuse, self-medication, destructive behavior. Yeah. Finally got sober. But as she told her sober coach and her sponsor, I will never forgive that man. I will do everything but in my recovery. And so she was driving home, listening to E Street Radio, and she hears Bruce Springsteen's song, Letter to You. And it was a lightning bolt to her. And she went to the house and she started writing to this man that had killed her grandmother. Four pages. Wow. Send it off. Mailed it. A couple weeks later, a, ma- a letter came back and she was afraid to open it. Yeah. Jump ahead. She ended up opening it. She ended up being at his execution. Wow. Looking at him with love because I've forgiven you. And his family had not forgiven him. And they said, if you, who actually is a member of the family who he killed, can forgive him, I have to. And it is truly an amazing episode that I'm so proud of that she opened up so much. So anyway, I think because of the power you talked about that art, hearing her story about that song, just, it was just, it was like a lightning bolt to her. Yeah. All right. So a couple of things I want to talk about, Cindy. And so I'm, I'm going to let dealer choice. One, I want to know more about this program and what led you to do that. But one of the things when we exchanged emails about you joining me is you mentioned the connection between visual arts and auditory arts, music and visual arts. Mm -hmm. That intrigued me. So dealer's choice, I want you to cover both subjects, but I will let you pick (laughs) which one you want in which order. Oh, okay. Let's talk about the connection to visual art music, because I think the program can come up. And I think if someone's interested, I can share about that too. But I do like to get, I like to talk aesthetics and philosophy and stuff about perfect uh, the arts so sounds good yeah so yeah so what did you mean by that what okay. why, where do you think the connection is I think it's what I was saying before about how the art the music is at its very core this sort of human need to share what's yes. inside of you makes sense And I also feel that's the same. I wouldn't have called myself an artist really until this year that I, this is my (laughs) artist is my word of the year this year, because I'm finally like embracing the word, but like, I feel like that's what I have been doing too. this whole, my whole career it's been through teaching. Um, And I feel like it comes from the same place. I use music all the time as an example, when I talk about what I'm talking about visual art, because visual art is so there's this elitist thing what you were saying like how every other country like we're the only country where they view art as luxury but it's like visual art has the stigma attached to it of you we have you have to be a certain way to enjoy a museum you have to you have to dress nice and you have to be like educated and cultured and you're like you're not good enough as you are to go look at art there's it's it's this weird dynamic that needs to be smashed and it is slowly being smashed especially with the internet and instagram and artists sharing their work in different ways i used to when i used to teach community college years and years ago and one of the questions assignments that i would teach them i taught art appreciation was i said if I'll tie this to music eventually, <laughs> I like to take no, the, take the long I, I, route. That's <laughs> okay. I love <laughs> tangents and I love that. So I'm yeah. enjoying this. Thanks. Love a lot it, of backstory. Cindy. I had a lot of backstory. That's okay. I love the backstory. 
Okay. Yeah. But so the question I would ask the students to write in an essay in class was if an art museum were a person, what would that person be like? And what job would they have? What would they drive? What would they wear? They flesh out who this person is. And, and it showed you so much about their sort of like internal biases about art museums. And it was, they're like, they're, they drive a BMW and they're really like, they go to Starbucks every morning. <laughs> like they, like they, they wear fancy clothes that are all black. There's all these, like these stereotypes that they have of the art museum. And then I would actually make them go to an art museum as their assignment. They had to go and write a paper about it. And talk about what they, what did they think was going to happen before they went? Because most, I would say, out of all of my students, there was usually one or two in the class who had actually been to an art museum before. None of them had ever done it. Um, there's this, there is this stigma. And, but I, and then there's this feeling with art. They're like, I'm not good enough. I can't do it. And I use music all the time as that example of, of you know how to do this. You've been listening to music your entire life. <laughs> you like that is something you have always done. People like I don't know anybody who doesn't listen to music at least sometimes. And you know what it feels like to connect emotionally with a song. You know what it feels like to hear a lyric and just to be like captivated by it or to hear like something to hear a like a I don't know like a phrase of the music and like the instrumentals or whatever and be like delighted by it you know what that feels like sure and I'm I tell to tell people I'm like it's the same thing <laughs> it is the exact same thing it's just the art doesn't move like it doesn't change through time it just stays there but it is the possibilities that are possible with when you listen to music and to find what is um, moving and delighting to you they're all there in the visual arts too I always like the visual arts too because my mind, I don't know if you can tell, but I have ADHD and my mind is constant. It's just, it's like finding connections all the time. And so visual art is great for me because I'm like, ah, I don't have to follow anything. I could just stay here with this and allow yeah. me to slow down. Music, I have to pay closer attention. So that's one thing. That's one way I would say that is it's the same mechanism. It's the same, the reason it was created. It was the same experience listening slash viewing the possibilities are the same to me. That leads me to a question I was going to ask, and I'm glad you reminded me. What are some of the misconceptions that the general public has about quote unquote art? That artists are geniuses. Okay. I do think it requires great talent. It's obvious the talent you need, but that. I think putting artists up on this pedestal as they're better than me, I don't, I think that's really harmful. And you'll see a lot of musicians too, too, that are like the ones that are really successful about like of seeming, and I would say Bruce Springsteen does this, seeming like just a normal guy with real feelings and like loves to make music. And I would say Taylor Swift is doing the same thing for a lot of people right now. So oh, she's just She's so down. She's so just like a person that's just writing about her thoughts and feelings. Yeah. And, and I think that that bridges the divide between like artists are up here, we're down here and they're better than us. They're more cultured. They're more educated. They're smarter. They're whatever. I, I feel like that. I feel like that's harmful to people's experience of art that can be harmful. So I had a musician on the other day. And he was talking about the hours he spent studying and practicing and working, right? And he says, there is a mixed bag of both a blessing and a curse. Penn Gillette talks about that there are this generation of people that grew up with YouTube are better jugglers and some of them are better magicians at that age because they saw someone do this incredibly hard trick on YouTube and therefore they knew it was able to do it. So they did it. Mm -hmm. No one told them that, Oh, juggling 12 balls is you can only do when you're a master. They just, oh, someone did that. I'm going to learn how to do it. But the curse is, uh, the musician was saying that you put something out 
and you get a lot of response and people like it and it misleads you to think it's that easy mm. when the reality is it's hard yeah. and it is you are going to have some really songs that aren't good right it's like a writer yeah. I, I had to learn my craft. I had to learn how to build that story. Yeah. And I think, once again, I'll go back to my buddy, Tom. He says that he will never get a tattoo because being an artist, he can't imagine ever doing a tattoo that he didn't draw. But there's nothing he's drawn that six months later he wishes he couldn't redo. And so yeah. therefore, a tattoo <laughs> never happened. Yeah, and I think Penn also told the story that he is a huge Bob Dylan fan. And he talks about the myth of Blood on the Tracks was that Dylan got his heart broken. He opened his emotional veins. The song spilled out. They put out the album, and it was this instant classic. That's the myth. You go mm -hmm. to the Bob Dylan Museum which, by the way, I recommend very strongly there in Tulsa. Yeah, uh, it and the Woody Gerther Museums are right next to each other. Oh, so cool. if it, it's not that far a drive from us here in Dallas, yeah. and it makes for a fun weekend because they're both great museums, that there are notebooks of him working on every word, on every song. Mm -hmm. And as Penn said, they're both just as amazing. The idea that this myth that I just set down and played songs or the reality is I've worked, he worked hours, days, months to build what many would consider a masterpiece. So I think yeah. that's right. There, There is a touch of genius, but there also is a touch of a little bit of magic and a whole lot of work. Yeah. yeah. Tom yeah, and it, it's really ahead. kept me from, I think the reason I have been thinking about this, like debunking the artist of genius thing recently is because it kept me from making art for my whole life. Like right. from when I left college to 2022, yeah. <laughs> so a year ago, I spent so much of my time looking at other people's art, studying it, teaching about it, connecting with it, all the things. And that I grew up this image of what I had to be an artist and even writing too. Like I did the same thing. Like I stopped writing for a while and I've always written. That's another thing. It's like, I wrote poetry all the time when I was a kid, I just constantly was writing. And I wrote, like I said, after that museum, I wrote four pages. Like I just, I was always writing. And then with your period where I didn't write either. Yeah. But it was just like, I thought I had to be different. <laughs> I thought I had, I was missing something. And then when I realized, no, I just need to sit down and actually do it. Yes. And do it a lot and keep doing it. And then eventually I'll start to what I make and maybe someone else will like it too, but it's that time spent on task um, is like the pro what I've learned through the just a process of sitting down and writing this book, sitting down and making art. Yeah. There's so much to that, that I stayed away from for so long. Cause I thought I wasn't good enough. Yeah. And I think the other discussion you can have, or at least I think we can have is the idea that you need to, you, you have to, you serve your audience, right? Like you have to be the first person that you try to make happy. Because if you don't, if, because you, it, it is very easy to say, no, I want, I want this to be successful. And so therefore I'm going to try to put together everything that I think will be successful when it's yes, but it's not you. And yes. if it's not, no one's going to care if it's not you. If And so I, I think that's really good advice. I've had other people on the podcast that, and I wish I could think of her name, but she's, people keep telling, you get told as an adult and you start, I'm not creative. 
I don't have a creative bone in my body. You're like, yes, you do. As a kid, you were creative all the time. Whether it was making up stories or putting on plays or having an imaginary friend or whether you colored in the lines or not, you were creative. And then it it's not good, so you don't share it versus the joy. Another story, uh, we were at the Nashville Country Music Hall of Fame, beautiful building, and there was these little kiosks, and Tom T. Hall says, I love is a song that causes people to great turmoil. He said, I wrote it in 10 minutes. It sold a million copies. People go, oh, it should be that easy. It's not. No. <laughs> yeah, it's it, not. That what story just told about. Oh, hold on. I had this. This always Creativity. happens one time. I just lost. It was, hold on. That's okay. Uh, oh, making stuff for, to be yeah. liked rather than making stuff that's about you. Yeah. I, another story that I tell in my book is that I went through the, the phase where I didn't, wasn't able to write was also a phase where I wasn't able to look at art anymore without thinking about how I was going to include it in a lesson on my website, <laughs> in my business. And I, yeah. it was not about my own personal connection anymore. It was about like, how can I share this? How can I teach this? And then I got to like completely disconnected from my creativity because it, it start, my business started to be more about how can I sell? How can I please other people? How can I give them what they want versus what do I really have in me that I want to share? And that has been what's been driving me my whole life is I know I have something that I need to share. And I, I, yeah. it's all I, it's this this thing that drives me, but I lost it for a while because I got too wrapped up in that. And even my book started out as a, Uh, more of an academic type of book. It was going to be like how, why we connect to art, like what happens in our brain and then like how we can do it and how we can get other, how we can get our students to do it. And then I started to realize, oh, that's just me trying to prove that I have something to say through like making myself sound smarter than I, but then when I actually really thought about it, it was, I had this story that I felt called to share and all of that was just justification. And it was like making it okay to tell that story. And so once I like stripped all that away and then I just made it about me, it became just a memoir about my experience and my connection with art. That's when it became like such a different, more magical thing. I started to like, I wrote poems again for the first time since I was a kid and put them in the book. And I added, I told my story, but at the same time, I don't think I said this about the book earlier, but each chapter is a different work of art that I interpret. And the girl before a mirror painting is the first chapter. The Lion King was is the introduction, but as I interpret the painting while also telling my story and kind of use that as a metaphor, but that, yeah, that same experience, like I felt like I lost all my creativity. And then when I was able to like, just allow the process to show me what the artwork needed to be then I created this book that I feel is I feel like it's a masterpiece (laughs) it was was a long process of writing it but very um, powerful experience for me yeah I I can imagine that so let's talk about the book and talk about you you mentioned about how you've decided that you want to teach others how to do a lot of what you're doing. So share with me a little bit about that. Yeah. So it it was really about, I had this moment is when I started making art again, it was December, 2022. Yeah. Or was it 2021? No, it was 2021. So I guess it's been two years now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was just like, I I lost a year there. Yeah. I was sitting there like, how can I tell people this? Like, how can I do this? Like, how can I show them what's possible? And that's when I realized, oh, it's not about telling them. It's about showing them. It's about modeling it for them. And so that's what the book ended up being. It's just a, it's a modeling, it's a showing of how I do it. And it's through myself as the case study. So it's like, you learn about my story and you learn about the mental health. A lot of people can see themselves in those struggles, but you also learn about the art and you also learn about like the possibilities when one person 
can connect with art in a really powerful way. And so it's like, it has multiple paths in it. But the, in, in December, that day that I had, I was that one of the, I had the feeling I needed to show people rather than tell them. But I also had this download of, the, I think the question that I was meditating on was how do I show them? And it was the answer that I got that just popped in my brain was through your art. And I, my first reaction was no, I can't make a living doing that. And then the second one was all the things like I'm, I'm good enough or I'm, I can't make art. That's not possible. All the things. And so I started out, but it was too powerful an answer that I had to I had to follow it. I was like, this is clearly something that's in me that needs to be heard. And so I started making art again. But then now once the book is out, I realized that answer was saying my art is this book. It is this, it is like this full artistic expression of me. There's so much craft that went into it and so much heart and so much, so much of everything. Like the poet, like that added poetry. And then I, I ended up putting my own art in it, which was um, something I thought I would never do. That was a whole process of allowing myself <laughs> to, to put my art in the book. So yeah, it was just, uh, I don't even remember how that story started or what the question was actually. No, no, that's, <laughs> no, that, that's absolutely perfect. So you shared this, but I want to know more. What did you learn something about yourself as you wrote the book? Oh, yeah. I learned I was an artist. And I learned I was a writer. (laughs) I I, I was writing a book for a good eight months before I had the realization that I was a writer. I was coming home from therapy on my way to writing practice. And suddenly I was like, I'm a writer. And I just started crying. (laughs) It was was the whole thing. Yeah. And, And I learned that I think that there is, you mentioned magic earlier. I was like, there is a magic to what I do that I can't really explain. I think I did my best job of explaining it, but there's, there's all these magical moments with art that really can't be explained. And as someone who's like really dedicated to science and, and all the things like in psychology, I'm like obsessed with all of that kind of stuff, but there are just unexplainable things that happen when you put someone with a work of art that it's, I tried to tell it with science when I first started writing the book, but I just realized that. I do have a special, I do have some sort of special power when it, when it comes to choosing art for people to look at and to, for um, facilitating the connection to art that it's been there the whole time. And I have just been like trying, like all my life has been this path of trying to get to like where I'm at now. Um, and uh, that feels really crazy to be in the place of, oh, my whole life has been leading to this moment. And now what do I do with it? <laughs> but yeah, I learned that I'm magical. Absolutely. What's <laughs> the name of the book and how can we find it? It is Art is About Being Whole, a memoir by Cindy Inger. And it is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. You can also just go to artisaboutbeingwhole.com. You can order a signed copy there. They have to pay for shipping on that one, but the, but yeah, you can order it on Amazon too. And nice. it's beautiful. It's a call. It's in color because each chapter, like I said, has a work of art and there's a lot of art to look at in the book as well. And, and it's, it, yeah, it just is, it's such a wonderful thing to hold <laughs> and, and, and read. So what's next for you, Cindy? What's next for you creatively? Oh, I have a second book that I've started. It's similar vein of the first one. It's going to be letters, but I haven't quite, it's a good, like life lessons and letters, but also told through art again. I have my art connection circle, my program that I told you about. That's there. That's going to, the next version of that is coming in January. And that's on, if you go to Artos about being whole, you can find that information there too. But it's a, a beautiful program where if you have at all been curious about what it's like to talk about art with people or to have that sort of powerful experience with art, that's a, a beautiful place to, to join us. Cause we also do a lot of self-discovery work. We do like work on your vision and your values and, but we do it all through looking at art. You learn a lot about yourself and also form pretty deep connections with the people in the group because you're sharing really deep stuff about yourself. That's what art allows us to do. It makes it feel safer to talk about yourself because you could be talking about yourself through another thing. So about that. And then, yeah, I don't know from there, I'm going to make more art for sure. And 
and see where else this, this feeling leads me, this feeling I've always had to share. I do have to spend a little bit. Are you listening to anything music wise? Yes, I am. Actually, I pretty much almost exclusively listen to musical theater. That's another art and music connections. It's both things. But I recently figured out, and it might have been because I was thinking about your podcast and I was like, I'm not really listening to anything other than musical theater right now. And I was like, but I can't, the algorithms on music, Apple Music weren't working for me because my kids listen to my our devices. Yeah. And they, so it's, it thinks I like about, oh, just Taylor Swift and a bunch of other things. And so I joined Spotify and just for me. And so I'm letting the algorithm figure it out. But it turns yes. out like I really like soul music, neo soul. I like music that's, that's emotional and gritty, but, but also beautiful at the same time. I'm enjoying the process of letting the algorithm discover discover my tastes outside of musical theater. Right now it, it's serving me up a lot of Florence the Machine and it's serving me up a lot of Nina Simone and stuff like that too. Uh, Leon Bridges. Uh, and I'm enjoying it. I'm just, I never slow down enough to like really find music I like. I, I get stuck listening to the stuff I've always listened to, mm-hmm. too, in addition to the musical theater. So it's been fun trying to find what I actually like to listen to outside of. That's awesome. Yeah. So good. I can send you a newbie Springsteen playlist. Oh, that'd that, be great. Uh, <laughs> uh, three or four years ago, I did a series of episodes where I had other podcasters who were not Springsteen fans join me and I sent them a Spotify playlist of 10 songs that are not, you know, born in the USA or dancing in the dark. And then, then they came back a month later and talked about them, whether they liked them or not. Yes, that was fun. (laughs) Cindy, is there something I should have asked you that I haven't? Oh gosh, we've talked about so many things. It's been a great conversation. No, I think I think I was prepared to talk more about my musical taste. So like we went, we talked about art more, which is, yeah. I, of course I love to talk about art, but I don't, I think we're, I feel good. I, that was fun. Okay. It was fun. Good. Yeah. All right. So before I let you go though, I end every podcast with the Mary question. Okay. So if you are a fan of Cindy's book or her, if you're a, someone who's involved in her business or her class, she did proud for you. You should be very happy. <laughs> Jay Armstrong, speaking of, was a English teacher in the Philadelphia area. He is now retired. But when he was teaching, he would give his students the lyrics to the song Thunder Road, and they would read it as if it was a poem and discussing all the different themes that Bruce explores in the song, the the images he creates with the song. And then he would ask his class at the end of the uh, day, does Mary get in the car? Cindy, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? No, I don't think she okay. gets in the car. Okay. I So I listened to it today and I read the lyrics along with it because I was having a hard time like hearing all the details. Sure. And it was very beautiful as a poem. I was like, this is a good poem. <laughs> like a lot of visual imagery. There was a lot, but the, my, my no answer came from one. There was some problematic language I felt towards Mary, like some kind of condescending language. There was this a sense that she didn't want to be with him. He was trying to convince her and she's already turned him away multiple times. What would have happened to her to change this change Right. Uh, her mind besides him just like saying that she's not as pretty as she could be but that's okay and then that coming with me isn't going to be free and I was like this is <laughs> I was like oh, I don't know about this I wouldn't go with this guy like he's he is convincing but also I don't know I don't know that I feel safe getting in, in that car so I yeah my answer would be no and then my question for you I was like listen yes. I was like oh is have you done stats on your like your audience because I'm like or the people who've answered this question because I have an inkling that there might be a gender divide in the answers three or four years ago I sent Jay a a list of I collected like 40 or 50 answers and sent it to him 
And he did some stats. So I haven't done since. I, and I always say that I should do this. And I think maybe in 2020, I may do that. I may start tracking that the guest is say yes or no. My feeling is it used to be 60-40. 60% of the guests said yes. 40% say no. But over the past five, six months, I've gotten a lot of no's. Oh. So I think I'm 50-50. And often, you they are like you and my lovely bride. He called her ugly. Of course, she's not getting in the car. <laughs> um, my answer to that is um, I feel what he is doing is he, she talks bad about herself all the time. I think mm -hmm. Mary puts herself down. I'm not very pretty. Who would want to go out with me? And so I think he's pitching that, hitting the objection, getting it out and getting it out of the way. Uh, hey, you ain't a beauty, but hey, it. you're all right, in my mind. The Jay believes she does not get in the car. He is the one who invented the song. He says, I don't think I'd like the song as much. His answer is that because she's afraid. This oh. song is about choices. You yeah. can stay where you are or you can make a choice to do something else. And if you're afraid, you may not choose that. Um, yeah. I, Interesting. Yeah. I've had, I had a wonderful person that did a whole thing that basically the singer is a serial killer. If she gets in the car, he's going to kill her. So you mentioned <laughs> yeah. that you felt a little creepiness. I've had other people say that it's all in his head that he's too afraid to talk to Mary. And this oh. conversation is in his mind. And the guy who wrote, Warren Zane, wrote a wonderful book on Bruce Springsteen's album, Nebraska. He said, yeah, there was, and he named a girl from high school. He said, I asked her out a thousand times in my mind, but never in reality. And I think this is it. I love you know, that. Yeah, I think there are some romantics that say, yes, she gets in the car. Then others say no, or she does. And the first time he stops to get cigarettes, she goes, what am I doing? <laughs> and she gets out she of here. perfectly happy at the beginning. She's yeah. dancing to Roy Orbison on her porch. Yes. Like, she sounds like she's having a delightful time. And yeah. like a lot of the interpretations of her fear seem to come from him. But it was, of course, from yeah. his perspective. Can I tell you one really fast Please. story? I know we're like, we've been talking. But I one, this is exactly what I do. I like interpreting arts and my favorite thing to yeah. do in the world. So I'm like, hey, <laughs> I could do a whole episode where we do this. One... I have a podcast too, which I oh, have been publishing recently, but we will talk okay. about a work of art. Just pick one and talk about it for the whole time. But I do a lesson in my art class that I used to do in my community college class that now I teach others to do, but it's looking at two paintings of the same thing. It's Judas slaying Holofernes. It's a Bible story. And one is by Caravaggio and one is by Artemisia Gentileschi. One is by man in the Baroque period. One is by woman, same time period. They look really similar. And so I'd always have people compare and contrast. And then at the end, it's just like this. I'm like, okay, is which art, which painting was done by a man and which was done by a woman and why? And it has the same type of vibe as this. It's just, it's really fun to figure out like what, how would a woman show this scene of, Slaying hope it's a beheading. It's she's chopping off his head and she has okay. a helper. And so it's the same type of lesson. It's really fun. So if you're listening and you want to check that out, just Google Judith Slaying Holfernies. <laughs> You'll see some pretty awesome well, um, depictions. Yes. And in fact, if you want to send me the link to oh, yeah. the episode, um well, it's actually I, not even on my podcast, but it is on my blog. So I will it's okay. on my blog for teachers. So I will Okay. Um, I will. Yeah, I, I would love that. The other thing is if uh, I, I don't know if I could do a art, but if you ever want to have someone on and we break apart a song, I would be honored to join you that we could yeah. do a song lyrics by lyrics. And that would be fun. That would be fun. I haven't done that before. I've done musical theater, but I haven't okay. done a song Good. yet. Yeah, um, that would be super fun. Yeah, this was so much fun, Cindy. Let's do it again. I was we Texas blueberries need to stick together. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> it is my wife says all the time.
why do we live here? Yeah. <laughs> you, know? you just um, get comfortable and then your kids yes. have friends and you're like, oh, yeah. I guess yes, I can't exactly. take my kids from yes. their friends. I can't uh, take myself from my friends. Yes. Yeah. So thank you so much. <laughs> Hold tight while I do a little business. Okay. Listeners, thank you so much for listening. I'm always looking for feedback and there are multiple ways to reach out to the show. The email address is setlustingbruce at gmail.com. Our hotline is 469-249-2442. You can find me on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is at Set Lusting Bruce. Rating and reviewing the podcast on your favorite podcast player is always appreciated. And I just want to thank you, Cindy, for joining me. I hope you had a good time. Thank you. It was great. All right. So listeners, remember, thank you for being here. Remember to be safe, be kind. And if we open up our hearts, love won't forsake us. Just let the music take us and carry us home. Goodbye. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast. That is the one, the only. Set listening, Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.